Gary here for Big Pride Cast uh, on this Monday evening. Uh, with me tonight, we have a special guest, but as always, my co-host, Peter Allison. Good evening, everyone. And our special guest tonight, Anthony Pryor. Hi. Welcome, sir. So, Anthony, who are you? What do you do? What's your thing? Uh, <laughs> that's a... That's a complicated question. Um, I am a, a freelance writer, uh, developer, editor of uh, role-playing games. I also do some stuff on my own, but mostly we're going to be talking about the gaming side of things. Uh, been gaming and playing role-playing games, I think, was uh, started in 1976. Wow. When one of my gaming friends said, hey, you want to play this weird game called Dungeons & Dragons? And I said, sure, and uh, I never looked back. Um, I've been uh, working freelance for many, many years. I started uh, writing for Fossa's Battletech back in the 80s. Oh. Wrote some wrote some fun stuff for them. I worked on the technical manuals. I did the Wolf's Dragoons uh, source book. Uh, did a bunch of scenario books for them. Uh, I worked for several other companies, including the original World of Talos Lanta from Bard Games. Uh, I did uh, a fair amount of stuff for uh, TSR for second edition Dungeons & Dragons. I was uh, the line manager for uh, White Wolf's um, for White Wolf Scarred Lands series. Uh, I've done stuff for Goodman Games, for Green Ronin, a number of other people. Just you know, smaller projects for them. Uh, lately, uh, I have been freelance writing, editing, developing, and uh, doing project management for Frog God Games in Pulsebo, Washington. And uh, I'm here. I'm here as an individual, but I'm also here kind of as the guy from Frog God. So you said and, you did, uh, you did yeah. Battletech? No, I, 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 backed, I backed a, a Kickstarter ages ago for the clan invasion. And I, mm-hmm. have, got, I have got a canon character called Tristagari of oh. Federal Sons. He's a noble scion Beautiful. for the first Avalon Hazars, Lieutenant Colonel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love working on that. I, I love working on that series. Um, and I, I have a, I have a secret that I can share. I'm pretty sure that, uh, FASA, uh, the company that published it, that stood for Fredonian Aeronautics and Space Administration, which very few people know. So Ah, I always wondered what FASA stood for. That's what it stood for. That's what it stood for. I asked the the president of the company and he told me. So (laughs) (laughs) that was what that meant. Uh, yeah, I'd had a great time with that. Um, you know, it's really nice to contribute to, something that has such a great legacy because I go on YouTube and I see videos like the history of the Marauder Mac. And I'm like, I wrote that, (laughs) you know, they're, they're developing this long involved history. And I, you know, wrote the original stuff. It's been elaborated on considerably since then, of course, but it's really gratifying to see that. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just really nice to be part of that. And I'm, uh, you know, inordinately happy with with what I did with with BattleTech. That was so much fun. And, I mean, uh, you were there at Ground Zero in 1976 when Digging D hit. Yes, that is. I mean, that was like a, that was like a um, a fundamental shift in how we approach games, isn't it? Because before it, it went, it was because it was it was remarkable because i'd been i started like wargaming when i was in yeah. my teens i started playing uh hex encounter war games and miniature war games i played you know napoleon at waterloo panzer leader and all those other games 
and I got together with uh, some this uh, this group of friends that invited me. And uh, we started just playing war games. And then one of the guys says, hey, you should bring in on the first level. And I was like, the what? And my first game, uh, you know, I just took to it. And, and it, I haven't really looked back. It's been, I was just so hooked on it from the day one. And that was using the white box with the three booklets, you know, oh, yeah. back in the day. I never got a copy of that. And if I had, I'd probably be a wealthier person. <sighs> But I, I, I am ashamed to admit that for years and years and years, I just used photocopies. <laughs> well, I think that I was cheated. like, yeah, back in the eight, like the 70s and 80s, that's how we kind of, you know, in, in, introduced others to the game, kind of photocopied like you know, the core bits and just hand them out, go, have a read of this, that's the rules, that's what you need. Yeah. Well, that was it. And and I immediately started designing dungeons and, uh, it, you know, it was just it was amazing. I mean, it was a completely like you said, it was a new way of gaming and it was a new way of looking at the world. And that's kind of the legacy of Dungeons and Dragons. Now we have thousands of of, of role playing games to choose from. And nobody looks at us <laughs> like, oh, you do you do that weird thing. And yeah. now it's like, you know, famous people, you know, <laughs> you know, Vin Diesel, I play Dungeons and Dragons and you don't argue with Vin Diesel. I know. I mean, that's what I think Vin Diesel's coming out to kind of say, yeah. I, I really like d d It's kind of reshaped the stereotype mm-hmm. yeah. of what a, a role player was because everyone's believed, oh, they were kind of pasty, white, skinny, typically guys um, in, in the basement or back bedroom. And then you got Vin Diesel standing up going, I do, I do D&D. That's a very okay. good uh, Vin Diesel impression right. there, Pete. You should totally do voiceovers for, for <laughs> totally the character. Right. <laughs> the joys of a software. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, and, uh, you know, and, and admittedly, when we first started, we were a skinny high school guys that didn't have girlfriends when we started. I will admit to that. <laughs> but many of us did meet our girlfriends through playing role-playing games. And, uh, you know, now it's a big family thing. Now everybody does it. My my kid does. I do. My friends do. My girlfriend does. It's it's just, you know, it's well, it's a way of life. You know, yeah. it's now a lifestyle uh, more than just a hobby. I think. It's, it's yeah. one thing and, so you you mentioned that. That's something I've sort of kind of observed. It seems standard war games and stuff. And it's funny you talk about Panzer Leader because my father's copy mm-hmm. of Panzer Leader is right over there. I've oh, got sure. A, I've got a copy of it that's still there. I got it. Yeah. Uh, but um, like old school sort of kind of war games or even miniature games. Now, more yeah. more recently, I think more sort of women are starting to sort of kind of take to yes. them and stuff. But it very oh, yeah. much a the bastion of your sort of kind of, you know, of a, of a, a boys and men. Um, but D and D and RPGs have always been. I would. I'm not sure if I'd say evenly split, but a lot more sort of. Um, what's the word? Um, div- diverse. I, I guess. Um, you know, I, I. You know, w- w- there just doesn't seem to be that blockage for for women to play uh rpgs um and i just i never quite understood why that was why they couldn't sort of kind of make the step into war games if they were but they quite like doing the the rpgs um 
Uh, yeah, and and you're right. There is it's opening up a lot more because the last Kings of War tournament I played in, yeah. I just got my my butt handed to me by a female player. <laughs> so uh, obviously things have, have changed in that area. <laughs> but you know, straight up war games are still mostly a boys' club, although yeah. there's more exceptions. Role playing, on the other hand, is a lot more uh, open to that kind of thing. And I think one of the things. One of the things that heralded that, oddly enough, was, I think, Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah. Uh, that did bring in a lot of uh, 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 female players. I think it was uh, because uh, we were getting into stuff that was a little less combat-oriented and more oriented towards social interaction yeah, yeah, yeah. and communications and things like that. And not to say that, you know, uh, women don't like conflict and don't like, you know, war games and stuff, but, I mean, I think that that was more... Uh, uh, gave more options and uh, uh, opened it up a lot more to people who had different different uh, uh, requirements and different interests. Mm. And I think that that's one of the things that kind of heralded opening up, up role-playing quite a bit. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We could also mean um, Vampire the Masquerade and the Vista World Dark just opened up to kind of almost entirely different community. You had like the, the goth and old, uh, rock scene. Exactly. Suddenly they were going, oh, vampires, you say? <laughs> it's like, I mean, just... Pretty much every uh, goth person in the 90s I knew was playing vampire just as yeah, much. I agree. I, the, the rock club that I joined when I was in university, um, they all had a vampire, the masquerade. Uh, they did it. They did it live, so they did it, but they did it with like a rock, paper, scissor type thing. Yeah. And they sort of right. kind of played in person. Uh, and I went along to one of the sessions once before going out to, for the drinks, and I was like, what the hell's going on? And it's like, because I was used to D&D, &D, and then there's suddenly there's like, there's vampires and stuff like this. And it was, uh, it, it, was it, it totally made me love goths and kind of become a little bit of one myself. So <laughs> it really was the, that, that was really great because it, it had always been kind of this sort of odd subculture that I couldn't quite comprehend. And then all of a sudden my friends and the people I was associating with going, Hey, this is awesome. So yeah. So it, 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 it worked both ways. It got, it got, you know, people of the subculture into role-playing and then it got people who were role-playing a little more interested in the subculture. So I think that was, uh, that was really beneficial. Yeah. So, what I found interesting well is like you took essentially two marginalized groups Mm -hmm. The goth yes. scene and the D and D, right. especially with the satanic panic and everything, right. and you combine them together, and there's a right. very much a strength in numbers. Oh. Excuse me. <laughs> okay, there's very much yeah. a strength in numbers. So basically, we there was almost a pushback. Like when we came together, like the two different these diff two different groups came together, they started pushing back much more in a much more concerted and organized manner against like the, the misrepresentation. Yes. Yes. And it, it, it well, it, it, like I said, it cut both ways because it really yeah. opened me up and I was like started to started to learn more about these different groups and these people that were playing. And I was like, you guys are OK. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, that was really it, because, I mean, uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, maybe we're part of, you know, for lack of a better term, a marginalized group. And we don't necessarily think to maybe consider that there's other people who are in the same position as we are. And then we come together and go, oh, wow, we got a lot in common. So, yeah, you know, I, I think that's one of the great things about role playing. I think that's one of the things that it's good for. And it, it, it helps people, you know, learn about themselves and learn about other people. And it's, you know, at its at its best, it really is that kind of 
uh, it is that kind of hobby. And I think it's lovely. Yeah, I, agreed. I, I really enjoy it for that. Like I haven't, uh, like I played Dungeons and Dragons. It would have been as, as a kid in the eighties, it would have been the red box. So I'm not sure if that mm-hmm. sec, sec, was that second edition? Second edition. Second yeah. edition, yeah. red box. Uh, so I, I played that as a kid loved it and then obviously um you're growing up and all my friends are sort of kind of like oh, you don't do that nerdy stuff so i was like on my own so i couldn't really play it much and then um we did sort of i did sort of um like one-offs now and again and i think we had a bit of a campaign where we did a rogue trader campaign uh for a while and then during lockdown myself pete and a couple of the guys from geek pride started a campaign a D campaign and we've been going for two years now and um it is it's been such a help to the mental health especially through lockdown um but just in general the mental health just because you were sort of able to talk to people you were allowed to you kind of could be somebody who you weren't even like i'm doing the dming stuff but i could sort of kind of release a lot of sort of feelings about stuff and within the storyline and conversely the, the characters could do the same and um i think it's it's helped loads you know i really mm-hmm. look forward really look forward to doing it every thursday and stuff and um, oh yeah it, it's just something that sort of i think is a really good release you know you've got somebody and especially like myself i'm a bit of a hermit sometimes kind of like you know sitting and doing going out scares me sometimes but you know you, you get that interaction yeah. with real people and you can talk to them and sort of you know we we always start before we go on we talk about our you know talk about how our days have been how things are going if people have had you know bad times and we kind of talk through it with each other and stuff and it's really good really good for the mental health yes and it's also you can meet someone, you know, potentially who is ostensibly a stranger, somebody that you've never met before, but you've got this common uh, you've got a common language yeah. and a common set of uh, 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 a common culture that you can uh, really appreciate. And it's a great way of sort of stepping into uh, you know, social relationships, I think, especially with uh the rise of discord and the rise of vtt and um you know the uh, the enforced isolation of the last few years uh it is nice to be able to reach out and say oh good there's a human being that i can interact with and it's Mm -hmm. in a fashion that doesn't require me to um you know really spend a lot of you know, spend a lot of energy finding common ground. We start off and we go, okay, cool. We both have this in common. Let's go. And I think that that's been a wonderful aspect of it. It's certainly kept me sane uh, during lockdown. Yeah, so, especially yeah. in D&D, it's essentially a platform for communication. We're playing a game. But mm-hmm. on top of that, we are we're communicating with each other. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember chatting with, I think it was... Um, Adam Driver, I might have got the name wrong, with game to go uh, ther- uh, um, an organisation that uses D&D and role-playing games for therapy, and right. explained to me that uh, ro- the, the encounters we experience in a role-playing game sit in the same place in our minds as real-world encounters. Now, we know they are, you know, imaginary make-believe, mm-hmm. but in the game, we experience it as a genuine, you know, reaction. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I remember, I think it was on, I think it was on the show Angel, Uh, either Angel or Buffy, somebody said a line along the lines of, I haven't played Dungeons and Dragons for so many years without learning a thing or two about honor. And 
Yeah. You know, that was kind of a joke, but that, you know, there, um, yeah. there's, there's something to be said for that. You really can, you know, it gives you an opportunity to do things and experience things that you wouldn't in, in normal daily life, obviously, you know. It's hard you're, not you're, to get sort of kind of embroiled. Like, we, we've had some pretty, oh, yeah. you know, tense moments and stuff, moral moral yeah. quandaries and stuff, yeah. where we've had proper sort of, like, not not like proper very strong debates about you know like should this captive right. be should this captive be um killed or not uh pete's character mm-hmm. had a sort of thing where he refused to kill people who were unarmed and if they were captives and he had this really strong view about it and they had this big argument with the cleric cleric's kind of going well if we don't if we don't kill him then he's going to come back and he's going to cause and there was a lot of sort of kind of uh, there's a really good thing just to hear people sort of kind of different views on it. And you could tell yeah. the people sort of kind of the views that they held themselves and stuff. And it was a really good sort of thing just to sit back and watch as they, as they carried on. Right. And it, it gives you the opportunity to, to have those discussions um, in a harmless context. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can experience that kind of conflict without anybody really being harmed or anything like that. And I think that that's really good too, uh, that you can see how you would react in a situation or as a character you're playing who may not reflect your own views or attitudes might react. And it, it is really, really cool. Because yeah. I always said that one of the things about um, about uh, accessibility uh, for games for uh, people who perhaps have physical limitations and things like that uh, you have an opportunity to play someone who is free of your limitations, possibly, or you can play someone who's just like you and succeeds even, you know, even with their limitations. And those are both really, really positive things you can do. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that the 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 value and the mental health value uh, of of role playing in general uh is i think it's it's starting to be appreciated it's starting to be seen and i've always uh felt that that was an important aspect of it yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty boring when it comes to characters and my i have this running thing that the car my characters are always kind of named after me but in a sort of kind of weird way and right. sort of like you know and i kind of tie in characters from different rpgs into other rpgs that i play just right. it's kind of a running joke for my thing but I always play a sort of honorable sort of warrior type. I just can't be a bad guy. I can't play bad guys. I can't do it. Right. In, even in, in games on the computer, I have to go the good way because I feel guilty. I get massive guilt complexes and stuff. And so, I, <laughs> but the thing is, I get really, I can't even say bad yes. things, but I kind of, you know, right. you get some really good, like, I remember sort of doing a uh, it was like a rogue trader one and i was a i was a rogue trader i was in charge of a crew they were all misfits it was a real it was really frustrating on time because they just weren't doing things i was trying my best to be a good guy or at least a good guy what you could be within the grim dark of the 41st millennium and um I, there was all he kept on throwing these curveballs so i was trying to do this and i was trying to sort of save this planet but then there was like this chaos infestation and stuff and they didn't want me to be there and I, and so I, I i kind of thought well if i kill these guys it's for the greater good and then it sort of backfired and stuff and then it made me feel guilty and stuff and it was just it was just really good but for me it's like when i play a character it's it's right. it's it's like a super powered me it's like me 
if I could be that hero on TV, who I would I would love to be. It's like I've got the same traits as me, but maybe me who's slightly braver or who sort of would stand up to sort of you know be that sort of kind of that superhero and stuff so it, it, it's kind of boring but it really helped it, I, I i really enjoy it i kind of feel like it's like i'm acting out who i feel like i should be in, in a certain way when i was sitting around you know every day going out and fixing computers you know it's kind of fun to come home and be the hero yeah you know and nothing says you have to like there's also no right or wrong way to do it you can you don't have to play someone who's completely at odds with your your real life character. You can play someone who's an idealized version of yourself, or you can play someone who promotes the same values as you do and see them actually put into action. Yeah. It's in your head. It's imaginary. I'll give an example. Um, uh, a friend of mine, um, I think I can say Scott Woodard, who now works for Pinnacle and works on uh, Savage Worlds. He ran uh, an adventure at a convention uh, that was um, – it was uh, – I won't go into too many specifics, but it was based on an actual real-life uh, shipwreck. And we were the crew, and this was sort of the untold story. It was a, a Realms of Cthulhu game, and uh, instead of the crew being lost, they actually – took their roles in fighting these mythos creatures that were threatening the world. And in that way, it was kind of a weird way in my head that it kind of made that made a terrible disaster seem, uh, seem like it, it, it was more meaningful. And, and I know in real life, of course it is meaningful. And I know the loss of life is, is, is really a, a, a tragedy, but it was interesting to have that, model in my mind to see that and show you know here's you know here's a you know here's another spin on it and yeah. and that was an interesting way of doing that there wasn't any you know suggestion that we were reflecting real life at all of course and there wasn't any uh, but uh, uh it was still was kind of cool because now i can look at that story and go oh okay cool i remember you know, I can I can see these people and, and, and feel that. And that was an interesting that was an interesting variation. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's because it immerses you. I mean, gaming is a, it's a liminal space. You create liminal spaces where there's a shared collaboration and it's an imaginary environment that you all mutually agree on. But it's a world without consequence and you know, real world impact. So at the end of the session, you can just drop out of it and it's back to normal life. But there's no, but you learn from it without any kind of negative impact, which is yep. you know, incredibly foundational. Very cool. Yeah. Um, you... You worked on some of some really key D and D games back in the day as well. I mean, like I've been looking at your resume, like Forgotten Realms, uh, Dark Sun, and everything. And how did you first get involved in not, not just playing games, but also developing them as well? No, oh, we lost him. He might have frozen. Oh, bear, bear with us, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. Really sorry. I'm just going to quickly ping someone an email. <laughs> oh. oh, are we there, Anthony? No, it's frozen completely. 
Right, I'm just going to send you a quick message. Um, Matt, just talk. <laughs> okay, well, um, uh, what can what can Matt talk about? I, put, I had my first game of the uh, middle of strategy battle game yesterday. I got absolutely hammered, but it's a quality game. I was really enjoying it. Oh, he's, oh, um, oh, he's, and he's dropped out. He's dropped off. Dropped off. Ah, standard. There you go. Having such a good chat. And um, things uh, go pair. Hopefully, he'll, he'll come, he'll come yeah. back on. Can oh. you invite? We should be able to come oh, back. Oh, my apologies. He's I am back. back. He's back. Sorry about that. All right. Okay. Stops me you from know. ranting on about random stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, hey, technology. He's you know, <laughs> our friend and our enemy. So, yeah. yeah. So, yes. so, yeah, how did you start developing, going from a play to a developer of role playing games? Oh, um, well, as far as developing goes, uh, I'm kind of the second uh, uh, tier. Uh, the first person is, of course, the writer and uh, the designer. And if I've got a, uh, an adventure, for example, uh, Frog God, we just did a I, I've been sort of developing and sort of managing the uh, the, the Kickstarter campaign or the um, crowdfunding campaigns. Um, you get your draft from the author. Uh, you go over it, and uh, essentially you're saying, uh, does this work? I don't know if this works. Maybe you might want to change this. This is great. This is – and, uh, uh, you know, you go over it for the sort of nuts and bolts look at it uh, and say, you know, narratively does it work? Mechanically does it work? Um, and you work with the uh, uh, you work with the author to sort of develop a, uh, a, a you know another you know like a, a real first draft, and a lot of times that process is short and you're kind of limited by uh, publication schedules and that sort of thing. Once that's done, it goes to the editor. The editor fixes the typos and makes sure that. Uh, you know, and also as a developer, I kind of have to look at the make sure that they, for example, didn't use IP monsters, you know, that they didn't accidentally use a beholder somewhere, for example, uh, and make sure that the mechanics work for the level and the overall uh, theme. And then that goes to the editor, the editor edits it, it goes to layout, etc. And then also, usually as a developer, I'm the guy that uh, comes up with the art orders, which are kind of fun, where you figure out what what the best pictures are going to be, <laughs> and uh, and you send that to the uh, to the artist and that sort of thing. So he's kind of like, uh, you know, he's kind of like the director of a movie or the or even the producer who kind of makes sure everything is going smoothly and makes sure everything fits together right. Nice. And I mean, um, how did you get involved directly into developing? Oh, well, uh, I hadn't done a lot of development. Uh, I had done a little editing, which uh, that's that's one of those jobs that, I, that that is not my favorite, but it has to be done. You know, so I just grip my teeth and do it. Uh, but it was back in 2000. I had um, uh, I think I got in touch with. Um, I think it was actually someone from from Frog God slash Necromancer uh, sent my name to White Wolf, and they said we're looking for a developer for our new D twenty line, and I said what's a developer, and uh, they said you're perfect, and uh, <laughs> um, 
that was how I got development, uh, got to be the developer on the Scarred Land series, which uh, another one that I'm really, really proud of. That was a that was a great series and some great authors and great art and really good setting and that sort of thing. So it was really like they said, well, you look at it, make sure it works. And, it, you know, they described the process that I just described to you. And uh, also I was sometimes when you're the developer, you get told, hey, you're in charge of this. And I'm the guy who contacts the authors and the artists. And I say, hey, you want to work on this? And I kind of oversee the contracting and stuff like that, too. So um, it was kind of like keeping a lot of plates spinning simultaneously. Uh, so it's it's kind of like pretty much every job that people don't want to do is 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 the developer. And um, I kind of enjoy it, actually. It's it's kind of it's great to see. We just finishing um, a uh, Kickstarter, uh, and I'm I'm watching the the layout come back to me from our from our layout people in Italy uh, for uh, a you know big hardback uh, adventure called uh, Heart of Saint Bathus that we just did as a Kickstarter, and it was really cool to sort of carry that along through. The whole development process and uh, uh, look at the art and see what they're doing with layout and it's really really fun to watch that sometimes it's tedious and it it, it makes you tear your hair out but uh, on the other hand it is a lot of fun and we're we're getting to uh, the completion on that we're very close to getting that done and getting ready to go to the printers and go out to our backers so uh, that should be a fun one how are you finding the Kickstarter experience we've talked to a lot of people um, mm -hmm. about and they've had you know generally positive but uh positive experiences okay somebody say it's very stressful um what's your what are your views on it um this one wasn't too bad uh it was okay uh i got um there's a lot of little what they would you know what <laughs> douglas adams would call a lot of little fiddly bits uh that you have to that you have to keep track of uh and um, you know, I wrote the write up for the, the website and I prepared all the art from the existing art we had and put it all together. And um, it was fairly smooth. I didn't have a problem with it, but that was my first Kickstarter. So I haven't really experienced uh, any big breakdowns yet. Um, I know that um, the the final you know, final accounting and payment that takes a little longer than than I'd like. But I guess there's some, you know, bureaucracy and paperwork that needs to needs to be dealt with in that. Uh, I am going to be uh, managing a, a puzzle dungeon, another project for a puzzle dungeon uh, a series. It's going to be three related adventures for my good friend, uh, uh, Rhiannon Louvre who's going to be writing this for us. And that's going to be Kickstartering, I think, uh, later in the spring. And that should be fun. And that's going to be another Kickstarter for me to kind of, <laughs> you know, stand in on. Uh, the other stuff that I've managed, I've managed a couple of projects for Indiegogo, which is simpler and, uh, you know, the income is lower. You know, we're uh, a, uh, a Kickstarter, we're looking for 30000 and a um, an Indiegogo, we're happy if we get three or four or five thousand. Mm -hmm. And I did a couple for for Indiegogo, and that's that's kind of a pleasure. The last one I did was um, I both wrote 
developed and managed the Kickstarter or the Indiegogo for my own product, which was, uh, it was called Beware the Yule Cat, which was a Christmas uh, a themed adventure, uh, which incorporated uh, Icelandic mythology. Okay, cool. And I really liked that one. I'm so happy. That's one of my favorites of all time. We just did the Indiegogo uh, around Christmas time. And uh, it was it was sort of a moderate success. I wouldn't call it, you know, a huge smash, but it was it was it was successful. And I'm looking forward to see that. And that's, again, something I got a lot of artistic satisfaction out of writing and managing. And, uh, you know, one of the other um, actually, no, I go back. I did not actually develop that. That was another person was involved in developing and stuff like that, because I probably would have gone crazy. I think <laughs> I did the development on that. But I managed the 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 IgG and, um, you know, it was uh, it was fun. So, yeah. One of the big things that's kind of well. The big elephant in the room at the moment in the hobby is the OGL issue. Yeah. Now, uh, there's been a lot of talk about it in mm-hmm. the social media, even in the press. The Guardian in the UK yeah. are talking about it. Yeah. But to be honest, and the writing, which was, yeah. But yeah, I mean, when you start talking about D&D in the Guardian and OGL, this issue. Mm-hmm. That's when you realise not only is the game big, but also the the inter- well. When I say game, I mean the entire hobby. The hobby, the hobby is yeah. mainstream. Yeah. I mean, what's your take on OGL as a? Um, uh, yeah, and and as I said before, uh, I I'll I'll repeat what I said to you guys before. I wanna. I, I think we should. We're at the point where we should be generating more light than heat, mm-hmm. and. Um, I think there's been a lot of emotions uh, expressed about this, and that's understandable. I'm not uh, uh, I understand the people who are upset and, uh, you know, have had a really negative uh, response. I did, too. But I'm kind of at the point where I want to sort of look at it more pragmatically and more, um, uh, you know, uh, constructively. Um, I think that the OGL was one of the best things to happen to the industry. I think it was a great um it was a great boon to the industry. Uh, it, uh, a lot of the analysis and a lot of the dissection of the OGL that's taken place uh, lately has put it in a new light to me. I would recommend uh, analyses by uh, Corey Doctorow and uh, Kit Walsh from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Both wrote some very interesting articles about what the OGL did and didn't do. And like I said, I am not a lawyer. I am not presenting anything other than my own personal opinion here. Uh, Those are both really interesting. And if you're interested in learning some real interesting under the hood stuff about OGL, I recommend that. Uh, Corey Doctorow, of course, a well-known author, and Kit Walsh, uh, both a a EFF person and a a fine uh, game designer in their own right who uh, among other things, designed uh, the award-winning uh, Thirsty Sword Lesbians game, <laughs> uh, and uh, which is for Apocalypse Engine, and that's another uh, role-playing system I really like. Um, I feel that it's done a lot. Uh, what I said to some friends recently was that the OGL works kind of like a peace treaty uh, between two countries, and it works only as long as both parties respect it. Um, once one party decides they're going to start moving away from it, then it starts to break down. 
And um, I feel that it's, you know, it could continue to be really useful. And I think the uh, I think the industry could have continued to work with it and continue to thrive and grow. Um, unfortunately, like I said, I'm, I'm I'll be as you know, try. I'm, I'm not trying to be really uh, emotional about it, but I feel that um, if basically the the barn door is opened and the horse runs out it's kind of too late to do anything about it if you've got the indication that this agreement that we thought was immutable that we thought couldn't be changed can be changed then it really no longer works uh as well as it did and i think that that's my first that's my primary thing is i feel like you can't unring the bell and when you say that this agreement is mutable and this agreement is revocable, uh, then it's really not it's not as valuable. So I, I think, like I said, trying to put that as, uh, you know, pragmatically as I can, uh, I feel that that's the key problem is the notion that the suggestion that this uh, agreement that we have worked under for the past 20 years um, is no longer valid. And that is really harmful, I think. Yeah, I mean, so. the OGL was created way back in 2020, yeah. 2001, wasn't it? Yeah, like yeah. And and um, again, I'm I'm I, I want to be as you know, I want to be as discreet as I can in saying this stuff. But uh, it, it was created. Uh, and believe me, I know because I've spoken to some of the people who worked on it uh, as a as an avenue by which third party publishers could produce material that's compatible with a given game system without fear of legal repercussions. It really wasn't made for the fans or for the players or for the people at home. Um, and I think to say otherwise is 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 not true. Uh, it was to prevent the kind of legal problems that had occurred in the past with, um, you know, a trademark copyright and ownership of of game systems. And uh, Wizards of the Coast had had some problems with that in the past. And I think that those problems that they'd had informed the creation of this license. And I think in as much as how it affected the industry, it was a really wonderful thing. And... It, it was for the benefit of other people who wanted to publish and and participate. And as far as that goes, again, I think it was wildly successful. Yeah, I mean, it gave people that wanted to make a role-playing game a baseline system that they could build upon. Precisely. And um, also, yeah, I'll go ahead, sorry. And, of course, and also promote that system and make it acceptable, widely known, widely played. So everyone started to use it and become familiar with it. Mm -hmm. Well, there's been a lot of talk about whether you can uh, copyright uh, game mechanics. And um, I've seen a lot of opinion on that. And uh, again, I I'm not qualified to weigh in on that. But I would say that the agreement also, the other thing that it gave and the thing that was so valuable to me as a designer was uh, a system reference document. It gave you common language that you could all use, that you could essentially, you know, copy, and you wouldn't have to worry about this particular phrasing 
violate someone's copyright or violate someone's IP. And, and there were still IP elements of it. There were still things you couldn't use, like you can't you know, use mind flayers, for example, and that's as it should be. That's perfectly reasonable. Uh, but the other stuff you could essentially, if you wanted to, you just cut and paste it from the system reference document. And having that common language helped uh, 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 D20 and then later 5E become the standard role-playing rules for better or worse, because of course, obviously it's not a perfect system and there are some issues with it. But overall, if I could go into a room and say, hey, let's play, you know, D&D, everybody knows how to play it. And I can just sit down and we've all got a common language to play with. And I think that that enriches the the publisher. And I think that also enriches the the, the people who who um, who publish. And it also, uh, you know, like you said, it makes this the 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 gold standard of the hobby. And I think that that was one of the most important things. Yeah. So, so um, the OG, the wizards have sort of come out with some statements on it, uh, saying, I think the last thing he says, however, it's clear from the reaction we rolled a one. It's, uh, it's yes. become clear that it's no longer yeah. possible to fully achieve all three goals while still staying true to principles. Uh, they were talking mm-hmm. about discrimination and stopping uh, NFTs and, and things like this, which I'm not completely convinced about but um i'm not sure what what is the current state of this is it something they're still moving forward with or they're uh, they're altering or i'm not 100 sure my understanding as an individual like i said not as a you know not officially was that in their statement they said they are not releasing it as it stands And they also said, and again, I have to be fairly, I want to try and be diplomatic and not not overstep it. But their implication that what what we've seen was a, quote, draft. Yes, a draft. Um, I have a hard time believing that, Mm. that I think that the what we saw was the actual intended language and that the response has been so negative that they have decided, okay, we're not going to do this. And they presented it and I'm sorry, but you know, I'll be honest here. They presented it in what I think is a kind of a disingenuous way. I think they said, Oh, this is just this draft we're batting around. And we were always going to check with the fans and with the third party publishers. And I I have a hard time with that, knowing Mm -hmm. how corporations work and knowing how agreements like this work. Um, that 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 was their intention. I think that this is um, there's a certain amount of backpedaling involved, and I think that they're going to go ahead and probably remove the elements. This is again my opinion that they're going to remove the more egregious elements of that of that OGL and release it. And I think that the the central problem I have with that as being someone who's associated with third party creators and someone who's worked in the industry for so long is that nowhere do they change their position that the OGL can be revoked. They don't say it, it, it can't be unauthorized. They say that we're going to release a new one. And the fact is that that sets the precedent and that is 
you know, uh, that's ringing the bell. That's saying that as far as we're concerned, we can change this anytime we want to. And we're really sorry that we overdid it, but we're going to walk back some of these things, but we're also going to include other things that maybe aren't as egregious, but they also involve the revocation of OGL 1.0. And um, I think, again, I keep going over this, but in my opinion, the only way that I think that they can get out of this is to revise the OGL to the extent that they give ironclad legal assurance that it is not revocable, mm. Mm. that they put something in there, that they change the language and add the word irrevocable to it. And other than that, they want to throw in a few other things about, and I, I certainly understand uh, the desire to keep offensive content out of the game. And I, I, uh, you know, I agree with that. Uh, oddly enough, that hasn't been a big problem. Yeah. That's the interesting thing that they're talking about that. And they also say that they're they're concerned about uh, about uh, the license being in the hands of, quote, large corporations. Yeah. Well, none of the people <laughs> who are publishing it are large corporations. Hasbro is a large corporation. I I, uh, I heard yeah. a very interesting. Well, I can't even remember. I think I was watching the Legal Eagle on YouTube or something, but um, or I'm not even sure if it was yeah. on that. Or not. But basically, there was something was said that at one um. Nobody had any major interest in Wizards of the Coasts, uh, the pro within Hasbro, uh, within D and D and Magic: The Gathering and stuff. Uh, but uh, the shareholders weren't asking questions. But then somebody turned around and started asking questions about how much money they brought in, and then they soon yeah. realized that it's the lion's share of the profits. And they went, "Well, why aren't people asking more questions about what you know D and D and Magic: The Gathering?" And we want to hear more about that and then obviously the whole money signs came up and people were kind of going well we should really sort of kind of try and get a bit more of this cash cow instead of letting it get out for free and then that's why a lot of this has come out because they're saying we can milk this massively i am inclined to agree with that assessment because in doing my my own research, uh, the statement from a uh, Watsi executive uh, back in December that uh, the uh, <laughs> that the the IP was under monetized, mm -hmm. and that uh, that spread all over the internet almost instantly. And um, I personally was of the opinion at that time I was trying to kind of look at it positively. To say, oh, under monetized, that means there's going to be more D&D &D movies. That's going to be the D&D &D TV series. They may do official D&D &D, uh, 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 VTTs. Uh, they may sell more Beholder plushies. Uh, all that sort of thing. And I thought that that meant that they were just going to maybe exploit the IP a little bit more and get it more in the public eye. And I didn't think that they were going to do anything quite as extreme as what they did. And what they ended up doing, it just seems very short-sighted. And it just seems very unwise. And um, I think that they're kind of, you know, reaping the wind here, uh, seeing what happened. And, um, you know... I said before that the popularity of role-playing is a blessing and a curse. Um, because back when nobody was playing, when we were the only ones, nobody really cared about how much money it made. 
And now it's big business. And the bottom line suddenly is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm personally of the opinion that that when they say, oh, it's all about the fans, it's all about the players, it's all about you guys, you know, it's all about the community. I don't believe that. I think it's all about stockholders. Agreed. Agreed. And I think it's all about the bottom line. And I think that that's uh, it's unfortunate. And I, I and again, that's what I think. That's my personal opinion. But it just seems to me that it's more the case of they see that sweet, sweet third party income and think, oh, you know, that. that should be ours. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, it's too bad because I think that indicates a lack of understanding of how the community works and how the industry has been working for the last two decades. What was the limit on it? It was like seven hundred and fifty grand or something. If you if you seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, yeah, yeah. If you make seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. We're going to take now, a percentage. Is of that. that profit or is that actual income? Because that is because those are two very different numbers. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, totally uh, sure. I'm not sure. Uh, think... They do explain it in. Uh, I know they sent some. Do- there was uh, in the leak, and I think that some of this may have been sent to the producers. Uh, they do say, well. You know, it's only if it's over seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, and if you make seven hundred and fifty thousand and one dollars, you only owe us twenty five cents, and that's true. But um, you know, there are some larger companies that make significantly more than that, and uh, if it's uh, and also if it's gross income, I mean, that's easier to document. If you if they're saying profit, then uh, then you get into the realms of creative bookkeeping and is this really profit or not? And, uh, you know, so it, it, it could be either one. And I, I couldn't say, uh, myself, that would probably be for someone maybe, uh, uh who's, who's, uh, uh, who's more familiar with it to, to answer, find, but either way, it's disturbing to me. Yeah. I find it interesting how the industry reaction within a few days, Mm-hmm. As I know, it's basically gone from shock to then disbelief. Yeah. And then literally people walk, like, unsubscribing from D&D Beyond. And also we've had the creation of the open open roleplay community. Um, this new, uh, or almost an entirely new open source Creative Commons licensed uh, roleplaying system. This may well, since there are some um, questionable areas in the OGL as it exists, like I said, um, you could probably go to court and argue that also the original intent of the creators was to make this irrevocable. And it's also, uh, uh, you know, that language was not necessarily in common use when it was created. Um, and you could probably go to court and who knows who would win, you know, maybe the people with the deeper pockets who can say, but the fact is that, um, going against that and, uh, taking, you know, if the OGL one, one is not, or two or whatever they want to call it is not acceptable. It could go to court and that could take years to resolve. The more uh, sensible 
you know, an economical side of it, I, I can see people pursuing this legally, but also doing what Paizo is doing and doing what Cobalt Press is doing and developing a new open gaming license that is truly, truly legally irrevocable and a system reference document or a series of system reference documents, because it's going to cover several game systems, I suspect. Um, and making that public, we just move over there. You know, we just start doing that and and let let the, the legal chips fall where they may um, is probably more. That's probably the more sensible alternative. I still think that there should be some legal uh, uh, clarification about the actual nature of the OGL and whether perpetual and irrevocable and what all those words mean and whether the intent of its creators count for anything, et cetera. I think those are really important. Um, those are really important factors that that should be sorted out. But in the meantime, I'm perfectly happy to go over with Kobold's, you know, Black, Project Black Flag and their new system reference document if that is if that meets my needs. Um, and so that may be where we go. We'll see. Yeah. And I think that ultimately <coughs> that will um, hit Hasbro was the course much deeper because people start going to other systems. People start playing other games other than D&D. Um, I mean, I'm a great fan of the Interlock system by Artosorian Games. I think there. Are... Sorry, carry on. No, go ahead. I think I think the relying on the innate, the innate laziness of gamers and stuff. Sometimes I think it's you you, you yeah. see it very. The prime example <clears throat> is Games Workshop and Warhammer 40k. It is by far Sorry. like, and I I, I I buy the stuff and the things. It, it's not a great game. It's not the best war game you're going to play. But because it's so big and because it's just the norm and people are so used to it, people buy it and people do it and they can kind of do what they want and people moan about it. And they get upset and you get sort of threats of doing this, that and the other, but nobody ever really does anything. And I part of me feels like they're just going they're doing it and they'll they'll do the whole, oh, we're doing it for the greater good of the community and stuff, and then just anyways, they're gonna make their money, people will moan about it, and then they'll just carry on and they'll go, Right, we got away with that, and we're still making our money. And I think they're kind of relying on that slightly. I think, you know, we will have people who will do these things, but it's basically there's so many people who are so used to 5e and D&D as is and stuff that it's like, oh, can we are doing another thing? I kind of like the system. I'll just go with the flow. Mm-hmm. I think that's the case. And I think, uh, you know, Games Workshop fans, for example, because for a long, 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 long time, uh, Warhammer was the only game in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, now I see a lot of stuff. I'm a fan of uh, Kings of War, by the way. Okay. I, I like that as a fantasy game because when Games Workshop sort of shuffled uh, shuffled uh, Warhammer Fantasy off the board, I was like looking for another fantasy battles yeah. game, and I enjoy that one. And I've, you know, uh, had a good time with that. Uh, but um, it seems to me that uh, the uh, uh, the role playing. Uh, crowd is different because we've always had access to other games and certainly back in the 80s when D&D was just another player in the you know in the game was just one alternative there was a plethora there was a blossoming of role-playing systems some good some terrible some some outstanding uh I played GURPS for many years I was a big fan of GURPS uh haven't played in a while but I might go back who knows 
Uh, and um, I think that uh, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it, mm-hmm. which means that Hasbro, Watsi, did not look at what happened with fourth edition. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I and yeah. Uh, they released a you know, I won't get into edition wars here, but I did not like it. I didn't like, I, I felt it changed the whole system too fifth, much. Fifth personally. edition was a reaction to fourth edition. Yeah. Because it went down yeah, so badly. Look what happened. They tried to put in a very restrictive licensing agreement and they released a new game system that was much more proprietary and they started losing market share to, uh, to Pathfinder. And then, what happened? They came up with a new edition of D&D and uh, kept the open gaming license, and it exploded. Mm-hmm. It's all over the place. Yep. We got our, we got our, uh, uh, you know, uh, like I said, Vin Diesel's and Joe Manganiello's yep. and all these other guys, these celebrity players. We've got people who are, uh, you know, celebrities based exclusively on them playing D&D online. We have you know, all sorts of people doing it. And it's become a huge nationwide phenomenon. And was that with a restrictive licensing agreement? No, it was with a very open licensing agreement. And you look back to what happened with fourth edition and it's like, is history going to repeat itself? I think it might. So we shall see. Think about like 30 years ago as well with like AD&D. Like Mm. TSR, the right swords of of, uh, AD&D at the time were having really major internal Money problems, right? And the ones who were trying to kind of get and mismanagement and so on. And long comes this small company called White Wolf that just hit the the right mm-hmm. time with the right product that really kind of nailed the zeitgeist. And suddenly, for the first time, Ed Dean Dungeon was not the most popular role play game. It was Vampire the Masquerade. Vampire, yeah. And then no. As time went on, D&D came back on, third edition, then fourth edition came along. So I'm wondering if we're going to see, see like, something similar happen again. Mm. I, I, yeah. mm. I mean, this is purely conjecture I have read, so I'm so... I, I have no... I anything... Have... Sorry. Yeah, no, ahead, no, 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 you carry, you carry on. I was just going to say anything is possible. I, it wouldn't surprise me if something like that came up. I, I'm it, this, this, these may be uh, um, in like that uh, supposed Chinese proverb about living. May you live in interesting times. Yeah. Uh, that may well be uh, what we're what we're bound for. We'll see. Uh, I'm kind of interested to see. Mm. So what are you going to say, Matt? Yeah, I'm. I'm just sort of, sort of. I think they've this. The OGL's come out as a way, as a promotional tool, and it's done. It's been amazing for them. It's done so well. They've then somebody's asked questions about what money's coming from this, and went, "Oh, right, we can get a lot more." And they've they've now decided that they're going to try and monetize this more, uh, and they need to do it. Uh, and they've done well. They've what are they've done now? They've done not really. They've done it really badly. But I'm not sure how much it's actually going to hurt them, um, because of the popularity of it. And as much as it is pissing off a lot of people, um, I'm not sure if it. You know, even if they leave, lose well, like a quarter of their sort of playership and stuff, you know, it's still going to be a big chunk of cash that's going to come their way because there's going to be a lot of people who'll they'll get agreements from 
companies and stuff who don't want to lose it and stuff and i'm just not sure how much damage is going to do them it would have to be a literal revolution uh for them to sort of get scared enough to sort of kind of uh do something uh, you know you, you know reverse it um i just don't yeah. know if they will or not to be honest i just think they're saying they're saying I, the, yeah i don't see that happening i see them coming out with a slightly less egregious uh, uh open gaming license and continuing to uh, insist that this is their property and they can change this agreement at will, mm-hmm. at their whim. And then I think the the market's likely to fragment and we're going to see a lot of other people playing alternative games. I think there is going to be a significant loss of market share. And right. that is the big thing that they're most concerned about. Uh, whether or not that was true, but we had that in, that supposedly leaked internal uh, or that that leaked information from the insider that said that their sole, uh, uh, you know, their sole uh, gauge of popularity was uh, D&D Beyond's uh, subscriptions and uh, everybody jumped on and canceled. I did. And I told them why. And uh, then a few days later, oops, sorry. You know, we rolled a one <laughs> and um, they certainly did. And I think that the volatility and the 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 actual real emotional uh, uh, commitment that a lot of people have to their role playing and to the game, I think they may have underestimated that. I think d and is still going to be there. It's still going to be huge. People are still going to play it. Um, but I think that it may not be the juggernaut Mm. that it was, and that is going to reflect badly on the people who made these decisions at a corporate level. I think it's more more so that it's like reading this statement and stuff, and it's just like driving these goals were two simple principles. One, our job to be good stewards of the game, and two, the OGL exists for the benefit of the fans. Nothing about these principles was waived for one second. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. It's just like, Mm -hmm. it's just so, Mm -hmm. it's like if they just turned around and said, look, we realize this is making money. It is our property after all. We just want to make yeah. a bit more cash. If they've been a bit more honest about it, people might might not be happy, but they wouldn't be as sort of kind. But it's I, I wouldn't have. I would. I wouldn't have liked that. But I suppose I would have gone. Hey, look! I respect their honesty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But... Because right now, it's everything that they've communicated has been sort of gauged in this kind of pseudo chummy kind of. Yeah, we're gamers just like you, and I just. God, it it just really, it really grates on me when I read stuff like that. And Mm. I'm trying to understand the mentality that went into these decisions. And I'm trying to be sympathetic to, especially to, and, and, oh yeah, there is something I want to say that there's been an awful lot of, 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 uh, sort of negativity toward Watsi and the Watsi employees. And I'm of the opinion, if they're anything like the people I knew, Watsi is a subdivision of a much larger corporation, and I am of the opinion, again, my opinion, that this was a this was a, a decree that came down from on high. This came from Hasbro, and I suspect there's more than a few people who are currently working for the Watsi subdivision who said, this is a bad idea and you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I, and, and I think that blaming, you know, Watsi, especially the rank and file who are down there in the trenches doing the best they can, I think that's unfair. Uh, I think it's the I think it's the people who who only care about the bottom line. 
that are the ones that that came up with this you know egregious short-sighted and self-destructive policy and um I, I know that these people are designers writers creators just like the rest of us and uh, i think they love the game just as much as we do and i'm pretty sure a lot of them were like uh you sure you want to do this you know so yeah. um yeah but there's sort of been an uns- sort of like that unspoken but very much understood reaction by people going are you like that dm turns you go are you sure you want to do that mm. yeah i you know and um yeah that was kind of my reaction too because yeah. i honestly i didn't want to believe that they'd go this far I really if, if they had said, you know, we're going to change the licensing a little bit or we're going to start, you know, selling more plush toys or anything like that, I probably would have been eh, questionable. And I don't know if you should be able to change it like that, et cetera. But I might have gone along with it and said under those circumstances. But I mean, something this extreme and something this, um, you know, um, I don't know, clueless. Uh, just strikes me as, you know, and, and even, like I said, I'm trying to be, I'm trying not to get too, too much into the emotion of the moment, but, you yeah. know, clueless is, is kind of mild. It's kind of a mild term for what I'm feeling. It's just like, I'm just reading through the statement. So it says that, yeah. that, and it's like they very emphasized that draft language was provided to content creators and publishers so their feedback could be considered before anything was finalized. <laughs> Bullshit. Bullshit. I am. You can't see it if you're listening, but I'm shaking my head. (laughs) (laughs) I am shaking my head sadly because that is very clearly. um, That's not true. Yeah. I mean, you know, let's let's call it what it is. It's it's just an untruth because we very much know that they're kind of trying to um, in trying to soft pedal a a disastrously misguided opinion and and, uh, that. Uh, their fans are smart enough and passionate enough that they responded to it and saw through it. And, you know, I, I wish them luck. I mean, I hope that they can get out of this and that maybe they can come up with something that will enable their IP to be successful and not uh, irritate the vast majority of fans and third party publishers. But, um, yeah, I don't want to see D&D disappear. Um, I'm not even particularly angry at Hasbro because they're a good corporation and they've done a lot of positive things. But this was a this was a, a bad decision on someone's part, and I'm I'm sorry they did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I can see why they might want to control the IP or, or like mm-hmm. the, especially like the and as you said we've got blockchains, NFTs, and so on. So yeah. having some control of those uses perfect and also controlling the type of content out there they do not want sex dungeons and dragons being um mm-hmm. uh being published so yes they do want to control the ip but this feels a distinct overreach if nothing else yeah it was just per uh, i think an overreach is a good description of it okay. yeah because i i think that they didn't think about i mean the kind of I'm in almost patronizing tone in which they created it indicates that they it suggests to me that some people there, not all of them, but some people don't really have a lot of respect for the people who are buying their product. Yeah. And that's just what it suggests. I mean, they may have utmost respect. I remember on the uh, 
on the leak, they mentioned something about um, about how uh, they were trying to put the third party producers into tiers, just like D&D adventurers. And they said something like, well, you're in tears because that's just like a and d character. Hey, we all play D&D, even our lawyers. And uh, that just, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, that that just was so clumsy, clumsy and 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 just uh, uh, tone deaf. That's kind of the I've been trying to think of that word. I'm trying to think of that phrase for like the last half hour. I couldn't remember the phrase tone deaf, but I think that the best. That's one of the best descriptions I can come up with for how it's been addressed is tone deaf. And that is too bad because they had a boy. I sure had a lot of goodwill toward them and we all had a lot of goodwill and a lot of the decisions they made. I backed up. I was I was with them about trying to make the game more diverse and trying to get questionable material out and trying to, you know, my personal if I can. Just, you know, I I try to say this as much as I can when I get a chance is that role playing is for everyone. Yeah, nobody gets left out. Nobody is, you know, you don't gatekeep. You don't say, oh, no, someone like this can't play. You can't say you can't play this kind of character. You can do whatever you want. And, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if you're playing at your your home game you know i've got no control over that if you do something that i find egregious it's your you know it's your campaign you can do what you want but in general i think that this is this should be a welcoming hobby it should be a positive hobby it should allow us to do what i said before about you can play someone like yourself and deal with the same challenges you 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 face each day or you can play someone unlike yourself and have lots of new challenges. And that is, you know, the, the, the and there's not a lot of this, but the people who are gatekeeping the hobby, um, I think that's keeping out people that it's designed for, that it works best for. And I admire a lot of the stuff that WotC did regarding that, like in, uh, you know, Radiant Citadel. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, the... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, but the uh, you know the the handicap accessible dungeon I thought it was a great idea, you know. Um, yeah. I thought that was fine. I thought that was wonderful. I love those miniatures of the of the you know the people did the miniatures of the uh, of the people with uh, uh, um, with uh, uh, mobility devices. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you don't like that and you don't think that that's appropriate, don't put it in your campaign. But if you've got people who who want to play that. And feel that this is a good example of you, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, living in a world where there are people like you. That is powerful. Mm, great. And I don't think anybody should should be opposed to that. So um, I'm this is kind of an attaboy for Hasbro up to this point. And I, I, I do support a lot of the stuff they did. But this boy. This was when you let the bottom line become more important. And I don't want to see that. So, yeah, there you go. Absolutely. I, I, some of you said like about role-playing being for everyone. It is for everyone. Mm-hmm. And um, basically I've, I've, writ, I've written a peer-reviewed essay recently for um, an academic journal called Deviant Leisure and Events of Deviance, looking at how role-playing games are a therapeutic uh, tool. 
and yes. how it can be used for exploring gender identity and sexual identity. Yes. And I suppose I've interviewed gamers from around the world saying, oh yeah, and how it has informed their own self-identity. This is this is this is kind of a passion thing for me because I don't care who you are, what you look like, what you call yourself, how you identify, what you know, what 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 deities you worship. Um, you can you are you are welcome at my table, period. Exactly. And that's that's how it is with me. And that's that's as you can tell, that's a pretty significant thing for me. Yeah, agreed. So yeah, yeah. just you know, <laughs> rant over. But yeah, you know. I've got yeah. I've got a bit at the end of this this statement, which I, I can't believe they wrote they wrote this. Right, so it says a yes. couple of last thoughts. First, we want to be able to release the new OGL today because we need to make sure we get it right. But it's coming. Second, you're going to hear people say that they won and that we lost because making your voices heard forced us to change our plans. Those people were only half right. They won, and so did we. And I'm just like, what the fuck? What is that? What is I, that? I don't know. I read that with sort of my mouth hanging open. It's like, <laughs> no, if you change the OGL, we all lose. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's my opinion, is that we don't all win. This isn't a win-win. If if they say, oh, yeah, this is ours, we can do with it what we want. And, you know, maybe we're not doing the more egregious things that you objected to, but we can change it anytime we want. That's a lose lose. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're going to lose the ability to publish, you know, under that agreement. And they're going to lose the support of the people who who were uh, who were fans up to this point. And it's like, no, no, uh, anything short of them. Like I said, agreeing that this license is irrevocable is not going to be enough for me, and I don't think it's going to be enough for a lot of the community. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 the issue I take with that. I mean, obviously, I kind of feel sorry for the person who had to write this, uh, because you have to try and put a spin on it, and the spin is, "Hey, we've heard you, and we're fixing things, and now you've got nothing to worry about," and it's like. Most people are, you know, most of the comments I've seen online, and admittedly, we're talking about that light versus heat thing. Most of them are very heated and say, oh, no, nothing they can say will change my mind. And uh, I, I think that's that's a pretty widespread reaction. Yeah. I think and almost the damage has been done. I mean, it's been done. Yeah, yeah there's almost no backpedaling from this because they've shown the hand and Peter's taken a step back. And as I as I said before, you cannot unring the bell. Yeah, and then that so that leads on to them. If if they they feel that damage has been done, maybe they're just going to go ahead anyway because they can't yeah. lose. They can't lose anything more. They've done it. So it's just like they they've they, you know they've run. The well, <laughs> as a as a as a war gamer, I know when I'm like advancing my cavalry and half of them have been slaughtered by by archers. Yeah, I just keep going. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. might I as well. Charge on no guts of glory. Will break through. Exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of how I'm seeing this. That yeah. that it's like um, the sensible thing would be to reassess this from scratch. And I don't think that that's going to happen. No. I think corporate's going to go. No, we're going to go ahead with this. And in six months, this will all be forgotten. And I don't think that's the case. No. Um, I'm sorry, mm. but you know, I I again, I, I'm not. I don't want to trash Hasbro or Watsy. I really don't. 
I mean, just just FYI, um, I was there. I was hanging out. I did some work for Watsi at the very beginning, but it all got canceled due to the success of Magic. I was working on some stuff for them, and I used to hang out quite a lot over at Pete Adkison's place over in uh, in Washington. It wasn't far from the SeaTac Airport, and uh, the business meetings took place in his in his den. And I sat in on a few of those, and uh, I was at a barbecue when the first uh, uh, um, Richard Garfield showed up with this Ooh. whole mass of magic cards straight from the printer and said, we're going to make so much money on this. Yeah. And he was right. Cards yeah. are crack. That. But I was there. I hung out with, with these people. I was there. You know, I hung out with Pete Adkison. I really like Pete Adkison. He's a really nice guy. And I know a lot of these people and, and was fairly close to them. And, um, you know, that's my pedigree here. Yeah. That's that's what I've seen. I don't know any of the people who are running the company today. I don't know any of those people. Mm. And I, I can't talk about what went on in their heads. I can say that the people who started it cared about gaming because they were gamers. And to an extent, the discovery of magic kind of, you know, that was kind of the equivalent of them, you know, pulling a rabbit out of their hat. Because that that was that was just I think that was just luck on their part that they that they stumbled upon this idea for this collectible card game. And the world was never different after that. I think that's what made them and gave them the resources that they could get Pokemon and D&D and the other stuff that that they're so successful with. And, you know, more power to them. I mean, I, I, I support them and I think that it was a good company and I'm glad that they did what they did. But I was there at the beginning when nobody knew if it was going to be successful or not. When they published Primal Order and accident or not accidentally, but they included mechanics from a game and had some legal issues because of that. I think that that informed the creation of the uh, of the open gaming license. I think that's one of the reasons it happened was to avoid just that kind of problem. And um you know, I, I don't know if any of the people who are running really have uh, much in the way of any corporate memory, mm. you know, don't have any real thoughts as to what happened, you know, 20 years ago or what happened, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, uh, you know, again, you know, not learning from history and it's too bad. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't mean to. No, no. <laughs> I don't mean to blather on here. No, no, no. no, no. It's really interesting. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really interesting. Um, what's been your sort of? Uh, we, we'll move away from the sort of kind of the OGL. I don't, we don't want to keep okay. it for too, 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 yeah, too long. It's too long and stuff. Yeah, that 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 particular horse has been been pretty beaten. <laughs> yeah, but it's still important. But, yeah, yeah. You know, and also, it's it's cool. still changing. I mean, things are changing in the subject every day. So you know. Who knows where it'll be 24 yeah, hours a week's time. Yep. Completely complete change. Yep. yep. What's, what, what's your, what's your proudest moment in your development career? What's your, what's your right. proudest moment? Well, th there's a couple, there's a couple that I like. Um, I'm very proud of the, like I said, Battletech and particularly the Wolf's Dragoons book, uh, was, I think, uh, that is still cited from people and they still remember it. And it was, it was a great deal of fun to write. Uh, when I was working for TSR, actually my proudest uh, uh, accomplishment 
um, well, there were two. One I got to write for their Lankmar license. And I was a huge fan of Fritz Leiber. And um, I loved his work. And I was just able to sort of become part of that. That was really, you know, very, very gratifying. But I think my my favorite thing from TSR was something called the Marco Volo trilogy, um, which was uh, three adventures for second edition where you where the characters hook up with an adventurer who claims to be Marco Volo and isn't really he's a guy named Marcus Wands and he takes him on an adventure and it has a whole lot of um sort of more what I I wanted to do more sort of witty stuff rather than slapstick or anything so I I threw in a lot of like Monty Python references <laughs> and uh um kind of uh tried to be fairly humorous and lighthearted and uh, that, I think, is the only D&D adventure in which one of the treasures is a hamper full of cheese. <laughs> because I found in one of their products, they had a whole list of exotic cheeses of the Forgotten Realms, and some of them were quite valuable. Uh -huh. So I said, okay, they get a whole thing full of cheese. And I was very proud of that. And um, as far as development goes, the Scarred Lands for, uh, uh, for White Wolf slash Sword and Sorcery Studios... Uh, that won awards, that has people who are still uh, uh, find it very, um, you know, have a lot of love for it. Um, I was learning and a few things slipped through that I would rather not have had happen. But it was a learning experience for me. And overall, the thing was a great setting, some great products and worked with some great people. And as a result of that, um, several people who are still uh, active in the industry, uh, right off the top of my head, Jeff Harkness, Joseph Carricker, and my dear friend, uh, Rhiannon Louvre, um, I think that was their, I think their first work was on the Scarred Lands sure. uh, under my supervision as the developer. And these people are still doing it, and they're still working on it, and I feel a great deal of pride that I was part of the beginning of their careers. I'm not claiming credit for it because these guys have all succeeded on their own merits because they are all very talented. But I really, really am proud that that I could have been there when they started writing and they're still here, you know, 20 years later. And that has been great. Um, as far as Frog God, I think um, Believe it or not, my favorite thing was the IGG we did around Christmas, the uh, the Yule Cat uh, adventure, because it was a really sweet, uh, very whimsical and uh, very cool adventure uh, in which, um, well, no one really has to die. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Some people might, but. You know, it depends on how you want to play it. I said you could play this whimsical and have a happy ending or you can have everybody murder each other. And I just gave everybody <laughs> that option. But just the notion that we could produce this thing that was associated with um, a really cool mythology, the Icelandic mythology and a um, little sidebar here, um, the uh, the Yule cat, which is the giant cat that eats you if you don't get clothes for Christmas um, is a big part of Icelandic mythology, and there is a much beloved poem that is read every year at Yuletide in Iceland, 
And we got in touch with the with the with the family of the guy who wrote it and got permission to use it. Oh, wow. And that poem appears in the product. And um, this is for all these, you know, this is for anybody who wants to play a Christmas adventure. And this is for all these wonderful folks in Iceland who have such cool, cool mythology. And the fact that we just included that, it just made me feel really proud uh, that we could do that, that we could sort of take this piece of Icelandic mythology and say, boom, there it is. And, you know, go visit Iceland or something like that, you know. So actually, that's the thing uh, most recently that I'm most, most proud of. Uh, right now, I'm really happy with the way that uh, the one that I mentioned before, the um, the the heart of St. Bathus is developing and that should be a really good looking product so um there's a lot out there that i'm really happy with what's and the heart of saint bathus about what's that heart of saint bathus is a uh is an underdark adventure i changed it to under realms because of ip concerns um yeah. it was originally under under dark and i know that's probably not ip but i just wanted to be yeah. careful so we changed it to the under realms and uh, essentially, you are trying to redeem the soul of a fallen paladin by finding the jeweled heart wherein his soul resides that's been taken by a demon. Oh. And you go down there and explore and do all sorts of uh, – it's, it's a sandbox. You wander around, and it's kind of reminiscent of the descent into the depths of the earth and vault of the drow and those older uh, modules uh, from TSR. It has that feel to it and it's uh uh it's really well done and um you know i really um i really recommend it and um just a minute uh, it is by uh william Knauer, who is a uh who has written several things for frog god and also is the author of several books on on successful writing and, uh, you know, he is uh, he's a very good writer and a very good developer and or a very good uh, uh, creator. And uh, uh, he wrote uh, Lost City of Baracus and a couple of other things. Uh, and uh, I really recommend it. And uh, the Kickstarter is over, but that'll be available for people to get when the when the time rolls around. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Sounds good. Wow. Mm -hmm. that, that's an incredible body of work you've got there. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, I've been at it forever. So <laughs> I am uh, Kim Mohan from uh, from uh, Watsi slash TSR. I ran into him at a Gen Con once and he says, oh, yeah, I know you. You're older than dirt in this industry. And I was like, I am. I mean, I am. So, you know, so, yeah, no. And, and it's been wonderful. And I'm going to keep doing it till they nail the coffin shut. So there you go. That's excellent. <laughs> Um, you said you, um, you you obviously play Kings of War. Uh, are you into your sort of kind of rank and flank games? And uh... oh yeah, I'm more of a rank and flank guy. I, I I that was the other thing I had with Games Workshop is like, oh, we're gonna turn Warhammer into a skirmish game. Yeah, and it's like, no square bases, please. They're bringing it back, hopefully, and, but you know, you know, and yeah, they are coming back. I'm gonna check that out when it returns. Yeah, and uh, we'll see how that goes. But I have a whole. I'm in my room here, and I have a whole wall full of unpainted miniatures. Oh, you have to. Uh, the, gray, so, the, the, you know. the, the plastic crack, the, uh, the pile of shame. Mm -hmm. as it is. I've got so much. Mm -hmm. have, you, yeah. uh, have you played a cool minis or not Song of Ice and Fire tabletop game, the Rank and Fire <laughs> the, the tabletop? No, I haven't, and, and I'm really intrigued. I like the books, and 
I like the series up until the last season. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, uh, the miniatures are great. I worked. <laughs> here we go. I worked on the role playing game, too. Oh, I, oh um, so good. I've got, I've got, I got yeah. to. It was terrifying. I got to yeah. write up House Stark. Yeah. Oh, I got nice. to do the history. Yeah, yeah. I got to write the whole history. And I got to write up House Stark. And I was just terrified because I know that's so critical to the fans. And I have never had anybody tell me I messed it up. So oh, I presume nice. it's okay. Nice, but nice. yeah, I have. I, I worked on that. And the game is great. And my only limitation is I just don't have room. <laughs> well the the cool minis are not um rank and flank game uh song of ice and fire tabletop game it's it's so good the only issue with it is they don't support it very well and it's just yeah. like you know there's lo- the minis are beautiful the game's mm-hmm. mechanics are simple but really sort mm-hmm. of like it's so good especially when you got you've basically got cards that just fuck people over and it's just it's so game of thrones yeah. it's so good but they just it does look pretty awesome yeah i mean that was a big temptation to me like i said i just it's like oh boy just what i need another game system (laughs) i'm the Um, same i got i've got literally i had to get rid of because i i got so into mm -hmm. i bought every single faction i was spending too much money i had to sell them i know so i just i I am gonna have to start thinking about that soon myself (laughs) um and i will say just right off the bat i do like there are round based game well it's not really a round based game but the osprey games uh rampant yeah, yeah. Uh, games. Uh, I just got Xenos Rampant, which is the science fiction one, and I've got Lion Rampant, and I've got several of those, and they use the same system, and they're all very, uh, very friendly and not super uh, uh, crunchy. Yeah, and uh, you can use square or round or whatever bases you want, and uh, I'm I'm really I, I really enjoy that particular system, and it's not a rank and flank game, but I still like to have those blocks of pikemen right there. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. those are great yeah 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 definitely brilliant brilliant yeah. yep right okay um we right so we generally end our podcast with like it, it's it, it's a bit of a, a it's not a it's not a pop quiz but it's basically what we do is we find a okay. we a geeky sort of franchise and then we ask you basically got 60 seconds to guess a character within that franchise um, oh boy! So basically, I'm no good at this. Uh, so, yeah. Um, it all depends on you. You by all means, if you if you don't want to play, we we don't have to. Uh, but oh, I'll it, play. Yeah. I'll, I'll humiliate. <laughs> we'll play. So basically, it'll be like you know, it could be Star Wars, it could be Warhammer, it could be uh, sure. Uh, it could be Star, uh, Star Trek. It could be our franchise. Mm-hmm. So you name the franchise. So you can think of a character from that franchise. You say what franchise it is: Marvel, DC, and then we ask questions. And then okay. uh, after sixty seconds, we have to sort of guess who that person is. So I'll, okay. I'll let Pete decide his. I've got one already lined up for his yes. first one, and the we'll... franchise is Dragonlance. 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 Oh no! I am not going to okay. have. Any... I am going to oh, have no idea. No, no see, I, I got to look this up. I I know the characters. I don't remember the. Uh, here we go. I I know who I know who I'm thinking of. I got to make sure I get the name right. Um, right. Just a minute. Here I'm going to have no input in this whatsoever. My dragon lance knowledge. Matt, is... You've got to read them. I know. Matt. Stop me. <laughs> there uh, we go. Okay, I got one. Okay. Oh, doesn't right. you, don't, you don't have to think. It's just Pete's got one from Dragonlance, so we've so, got to so guess. Yeah, he's, got he's got one. So he's he, got, got one from from. Oh, we. I have to guess. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, Berthy, let me get let me get a timer up. So, 
timer. Okay. Um, and then, so you've got 60 seconds. So we've got, um, oh, stopwatch. There we go. Right. So uh, Dragonlance, 60 seconds. So you've just got to ask questions about who the character is, etc., and see if you can guess it. So uh, Dragonlance, 60 seconds. Go. Okay. Well, um, male, female, or otherwise? Uh, female. Okay, uh, that narrows it down. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, spellcaster? No. No. Okay, that makes it even harder for me. <laughs> um, human? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, oh, boy. Uh, that's not that. Uh, so, yeah, not a dragon. So, no, um, not, not a dragon. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, martial type fighter. Yes, she, uh, she is a fighter. Okay. Um, let's see. From the original, from from the first series. Yes, she the... is. Uh, she is in Dragonlance Chronicles. I think was the first one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Um. Okay. So sixty seconds up. You can ask one more question, and then you've got to guess. More question. Um, I don't know, hair color. Um, black. Black. Um, I'm sort of refreshing my, I'm refreshing my memory over here. I'm cheating a little bit. That's okay. Um, because, yeah, because I haven't read in a long time. I'm thinking, oh, sorry. <laughs> In a while. Pete uh, likes uh, Pete uh, likes sending really obscure. I would not say obscure um, to be there. She in the first one, Tika. No, no, Tika's got red hair. Oh, okay, okay. Well, that shows how much I remember. Okay. Um, <laughs> Kitaya of, of my oh, the my um, sister of uh, Risen and Cameron. Guess. I was close. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great. Okay. okay. Yeah, now I have to reread the books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very good books. Yeah, now I got to reread. That's great. Okay. okay. So uh, you can pick a franchise, uh, anything you want. Uh, obviously, obviously, better that we may know something about it so we can actually ask you oh, questions okay. on it. Um, uh, so think of a character. Okay. Think of the franchise. Think of a character. And... Yes. Uh, it was, um, I, I know which one. Um I got to double check on this. Uh, right. It was, um, I have it. Uh, yeah, I got it. Star Wars. Star Wars. Okay. Okay. Star Wars. So Star Wars, 60 seconds. Right. Go. Okay. So uh, orig- original trilogy? No. Uh, the prequels? Yes. So in the prequels. Um, are yes. they in The Phantom Menace? Uh... I don't think so. No. Um, are they in Revenge of the Sith? Clone, sorry, yes. clo- clone, are, they in, are they in Clone yes. Wars? Clone Wars and yes. Revenge of the Sith? Yes. Um, are they um, a male, male or female? Female. Female. Um, clone Wars, female. Uh, are they... Oh, so there's no rebels or... So are, are they... Female. Are they part of the Republic? They're are all... they what? Well, I'm sorry. Part of the Republic. Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, it's, it can't be Padme because that's just too obvious. Um, and she was in um Phantom Menace. Yeah, she was. Right. Um, 
Oh, all right, okay, wait, wait, wait. one minute. Is she a Jedi? Are they a yes. Jedi? Oh, yes. Um, oh, clone. Wait a minute. Right. Is she a Twi'lek? Yes. Oh, I said. I know who you mean. Ah, what's her name? Um. Uh. Oh God. She was. She was in the Mandalorian as well recently. Um. Oh God. Oh my God. Everybody's gonna hate me. Uh, a. Uh, uh, Ashoka. 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 Ashoka Tano. No. No. Because no, you no. Oh, uh, it's not Ashoka. Okay. Uh, Ashoka's no, in the a, TV she's series. A, uh, a Togruta, isn't she? She's a Twi'lek, is she not? Is she? No, I don't think she's a Twi'lek, so yeah. No, she's not a Twi'lek. Oh, right, okay, right, right, okay. Okay. A? Oh, God. Oh, you've stumped me now. Right. A. So <laughs> she's in... She's... Oh, wait a minute. Is she... Wait a minute. She's in Clone Wars. She's in Revenge of the Sith. Is she... Oh, okay, my last question. Is she a part of the Jedi Council? Uh... I... I don't think so. Sorry, I don't know that for sure. I don't think so. No, hmm. I don't remember seeing her in the in the scenes with the council. No, uh, but yeah. I I may I I may not be the best uh, <laughs> source on that. Um, hmm. I met the actress at a Gen Con. Oh wow! Oh, she God. was uh, she yeah. was originally a secretary at LucasArts. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm completely. <laughs> you're gonna have to give us it's, who it is. Uh, her yeah. name is Ayla Sakura. Uh, yeah. Okay. Ayla Sakura. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I just remember her because I was like, uh, I, I met her at Gen Con. I was like, oh, you were great, you know? And she says, well, I hope I'll be in the next movie. And and she was. And she yeah, died. Yeah, she is. A tweet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There she is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yes. Ayla Sakura. My yeah. favorite. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Uh, Ah, there you go. My, oh, I thought my, I was going oh, to completely own that. I was just going to be all over this. Yes, my 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 celebrity crush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There you go. Um. Uh. Have you watched Andor? By the way, I haven't watched Andor yet. Oh, it's really good. I want to. Yeah, really that's good. that's on my list. It's really good. Okay. Uh, what am I going to go for? Um, I am going to go for um. Game of Thrones. Okay. And I'm going to go for... Who am I going to go for? Yeah, I haven't done already. Um, I'm going to go for... Oh, I can't do that one. I've done that one already. Annoying. <laughs> ah. Jon Snow. Oh, it was another one, but it was, it's just quite a good one because it's sort of like, it kind of, it's got, oh, actually, I've got one. Okay, you know, I've got one. All right, okay, so yeah, Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. um, 60 seconds, go. Okay. Um, all right, male or female? Uh, female. Yeah. Are they hostile? Uh, they are not Oh, uh, it's a hard one. Like, so they are not. They are. They were. I was just like giving it off to. They are not in the character who they are. They are not affiliated with House Stark. No. Okay, but they uh, may have had affiliations with. They may have had affiliations. Well, okay. Did um, they leave House Stark? They didn't voluntarily leave House Stark. Oh. Um. 
God. They didn't marry into House Stark. They did marry into House Stark. They well, did marry into yeah. House Stark. Um, yeah. That's um, um, <laughs> living or dead by the end of the series. Uh, they're in the they're not in the series. They, they well, oh. the character character mm-hmm. who this person becomes is in the character, but the character oh. they are isn't in the Lady isn't. Stoneheart. Yes, very good, Lady Stoneheart. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Well played. That is a separate character who didn't appear in the series. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, Very good. There yeah, you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. I think I'd do that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I've really, oh, I've yeah. really enjoyed this. Uh, it's been very good. This has been this has been wonderful. Thank you, guys. Yeah. I'll, thank you. Ask me back anytime. Oh yeah, you're more th- more than welcome. Just even if you yeah. just want to have a bunt there about stuff. But yeah, that's been it's been a great one. For sure. Um. So uh, thank you very much for me. I've been Matt Geary. With me tonight has been Peter Ray Allison. Good night, everyone. And our guest, good night. And thank you very much. Game on. Game on. Bye. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye.